Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We're excited to announce our latest podcast launching this week called Behind the Billions. Coming from the two co-creators of Billions, Brian Koppelman and David Levine give a behind-the-scenes look into Billions Season 5. Following each episode's airing on Showtime, the podcast will impact the writing of the script, exclusive stories from production, interviews with cast and crew, and much more. The first episode is out now, so make sure to subscribe to Behind the Billions on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Harry and Meghan still making news. We'll talk about it. Also, Chloe Sevigny, Ana de Armas, the Met Gala. But first, hottest topic on all of the internet, at least our internet this week, is about normal people and the stars of the show. Daisy Edgar-Jones, who plays Marianne, and Paul Meskel, who plays Connell Waldron. And that's where really we want to start this conversation. This is an organic, authentic podcast, and we were putting together our lineup and did all the predictable, famous people things that you're supposed to do, and then each spent 45 minutes trading various facts about these two individuals. And so we have decided to start with the most important matter, which is the two adorable stars of normal people. I'm interested in you landing on adorable. Are you censoring yourself? Is that how you really feel about them? Yes, I am. (laughs) I did ask you, I was like, is there a way for us to have this conversation without getting fired or arrested? And we're going to do that. I do want to say that I do, the show is working for me on the level that it's supposed to be working for me, which just, you know, not to be a prude about it is there's a lot of sex and they film it very conscientiously and it's great and it's working. I think it's the hottest TV sex in a really long time. I do too. I think there's also, it is hot. I will say I just recently did a a big picture podcast about like erotic thrillers from the eighties and nineties and then kind of went directly into normal people. And it's a different type of sex. And I want to say it's all for the better. Normal people, it's just much more accessible situations. No one is dying every time they have sex, which is really good. That's a great (laughs) lesson. Did you ever think about the fact that basically all of the sex scenes that we watched as teenagers were either like the ghost ceramic scene or people like dying immediately ever having sex after having sex? That's also like all of horror movies, isn't it? Yes. Like, sure. Yes. So I'm really pleased for this generation where people are having like consensual, respectful, engaged, and also good sex. And I think one thing that's been really cool is that um, both actors, both Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar-Jones and Lenny Abramson, who directed the show, have like had to talk a lot about the sex scenes and the way they talk about it is all really like very positive and comfortable. And they talk a lot about their intimacy coordinator and... Um, you know, how they treated it like a job, but also they wanted you to respond in the way that you're responding. Definitely these kids are getting a better version of movie and TV sex than you and I did. Definitely. And the whole show has like a very tight quality to it, the way it's filmed. It's always, even when it's sunny in this show, it's like always a little cloudy, just the way you imagine Ireland to be and, mm-hmm. or like a little gray and the verite extends to these sex scenes. I think, I mean, they're just also two very, very attractive people. She, Chris, Chris and I covered this on TV concierge and he also talked to Lenny Abramson on the watch. And we were saying she looks like a dead ringer of, um, Anne Hathaway. 
But then one of our other colleagues, Jeff Chow, is saying she looked like a little bit like Maggie Siff to him. And I thought that was interesting. I don't see it. I mean, I just only see Anne Hathaway. But now that you've been exposed to the character, I see Daisy Edgar Jones a lot more. Before I knew her, I was like, who is this Anne Hathaway light? But who does she look like to you? It's definitely Anne Hathaway. As soon as you said it, I it was instant for me. And there, it's also not just the the actual physical appearance, though it's very real. And she has the kind of same bangs that Anne Hathaway has in Devil Wears Prada, which I told you already, I like have been very tempted to try. She makes them work for her in such a way that I'm like, oh, maybe I should do bangs. And I'm saying that because I know I shouldn't get bangs. Have you ever had bangs? No, I've never had bangs. Bangs are not for me. Bangs are really only for people with the bone structure of Anne Hathaway and Daisy Edgar Jones. And that's great for them. And they're making it work. But I shouldn't have bangs. And I am just hoping that you and everyone listening will hold me accountable and remind me to make good choices. Here's the thing about bangs. Extremely high maintenance. I can't have them. I have way too much like frizz and and baby hairs for that. I've always have. So I've never gotten them. I once tried, didn't like to go like halfway when that was a thing, like long wispy bangs, like in like the Mm -hmm. early aughts or whatever. That didn't work out for me. Bangs are really high maintenance to make them work well. You have to constantly trim them. You have to constantly be like styling your hair. It's not a quarantine look because it's like, it's a full out in the world, daily quaff, regular maintenance look. And it's just not the time I support you with your hair dreams, you know, but I would just say I wouldn't do it now. Plus you'll just like, if you regret it, you'll be stuck in the house thinking about how much you hate your bangs. I appreciate the support and really the soft power of that statement, but I, I should not get bangs. Okay. <laughs> like it's just a no, here are the reasons. Number one, my hair is of a different texture and it's like a little bit thicker than Daisy Edgar Jones's. And so I think it would just kind of look like a helmet and that's mm. not what we want. Number two, her hair looks amazing on this show, but it is like really deeply styled at all times. Like yes. the, the one, she is an offender of the, I just like woke up and my hair has the perfect tousled waves that someone spent an hour with a curling iron doing. Never in my life will I do that. I did. I let someone do that for me exactly once, which was when I got married and it was, I was very impatient and I will never do it. So I cannot model my hair on lifestyle choices that I'm not prepared to make. So it's a no. She also has amazing top knot, like just incredible top knot and bangs. Love it. She, they, the show is stylistically beautiful and mm-hmm. so are the humans. And the internet has particularly gone crazy over Paul Meskel. And I, I just want to say, I think part, and we're going to just do some Paul Meskel facts, but I also just want to note, but both of them are excellent actors. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why people are going so crazy over them is because the performances are so good that you feel like you know the the characters. And he they're both really attractive. Like that's an understatement. But they're they're really good on the show. And I he just I think is very much in the Paul Newman vibe for me. Yes. They have amazing chemistry, which the show doesn't work without it. But I can't think of like real breakthrough performances like this that I've seen in a while where both people you're like, oh you're going to be stars. And I want to know more about you. And I'm interested. I'm very connected to the show and everything that happens in the show. Wink, wink. But also like I'm Googling both of these people. I want to know their backstory. I want to know what else they've done. I just can instantly tell that they are going to be careers that I follow. And and that's exciting. And that is both because of their acting quality and because of their general star power. Well, no, I wasn't even going to be you know, weird and leering in that one. I was just going to say that they do have that screen presence in addition to, to both just being like extremely attractive young people. Totally. Let's do some Paul Meskel facts. 
Number one, which is a good segue for something you just said, the internet has been saying that he's the new Peter Kavinsky, which is who Noah Centineo plays in the To All the Boys I've Loved Before movies on Netflix. And I think this is an incredible insult in such an understatement of Paul Meskel's talent. <laughs> I understand the phenomenon. There was a weekend when just a lot of people were and uh, people of all ages, not just teens, because that was kind of the appeal or the the breakthrough of To All the Boys I Loved Before was that it was a teen movie that all ages really enjoyed. And there were a lot of grown people being like, Peter Kavinsky, what a dreamboat. Yeah, I for sure. Do, I do agree that Paul Meskel is on a different level in terms of his talent. And just normal people is a show for adults. Please don't let your teenage... Well, I don't know. Would you let a teenager watch this? You know, it's funny you ask. I had a funny conversation a few months ago about normal people, which I liked. I'm way more of a conversations with friends person. I really preferred that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a much stronger memory of that book, but I like normal people a lot. I had an interesting conversation where someone said, like, tell me why normal people is not a YA novel. And I thought that was an interesting note. And I, I could see myself watching this as a teen and like really liking it. I do think in some ways like that, I think, you know, it's like responsible portrait of sex and a very Mm -hmm. realistic portrait of sort of the emotional state that accompanies romance when you're a young person. So I, you know, I I think if you were watching it, Sex in the City as a teenager, you could totally watch this. Totally. I mean, I was thinking about all of the things from like Basic Instinct and Unfaithful, which it's just nuts, to <laughs> Cruel Intentions, also nuts. I mean, I just, when I think about the wild things, remember that? Oh my God. Of Lord. course. When I think about the kind of sex that we learn from TV and movies, I'm like, sure, like play this in schools. You yeah. know, this is great sex ed. They definitely say, do you have a condom at one point, which is good. It's responsible. Yeah. I think that's an episode one, maybe two. Yeah. I just, I also can't imagine watching this with a teenager that I know. You know, it seems oh, like yeah. a real generational, we are not parents, but if you, if you're a parent of a teenager, maybe it's, maybe this is like the book that parents give you for the safe sex talk. I don't know whether other parents did that, but my talk came with some reading materials that you could peruse on your own time. <laughs> so, so maybe, I don't, I don't know. So maybe this is like, you have a, you have a talk and then you say, go and, you know, learn about the world on your own time. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just think if you're reading the book, then you should watch the show. And I could see teens reading the book for sure. Yeah. I do think to answer your question of why it's not a YA book, it is really emotionally complex. There is a sense of real of longing and sadness and and sadness and just kind of it is like first love and that sense of, of being a certain age and the whole world is in front of you. And anything can happen. And it also feels like the highest stakes in the world that I remember, but am like well past in my own life. And also, I think that both the book and the show are made from that, like with that perspective. Yeah, Um, I think I think it captures the loneliness of a tense emotion really well mm -hmm. and whatever that emotion might be. And I think it's hard to understand that you feel lonely when you're younger. Sometimes like you don't can't put a word on that. You're like surrounded by people a lot when you're younger. Yeah, that's very smart. There's just an emotional acuity to it that you like it understands what's going on and can name a lot of things and has such control over the emotions to be able to manipulate them that I think is very hard when you're a teenager and just kind of like learning what everything is for the first time. Sure, sure, sure. 
I just, I found it insulting that the, the Peter Kavinsky comparison, because there is just so much more depth to normal people into Paul Mescal than Noah Centineo. I'm sorry. There just is. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's the adults, Peter Kavinsky. It's the thinking woman and man's Peter Kavinsky. I let's, I think we can just, Connell can be an archetype for us now. Totally. He's How a total Connell. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. on that note, I would say one of the reasons that Paul Mescal is so good in this is because he is what I call a real feelings guy, which is that he's very <laughs> in touch with his feelings. And he pulled on a lot of like his personal pain and experience to play this role. He talks about how when he was in high school, someone in his school in his school died and sort of what it's like to confront suicide as a young person, which plays into the show and to the book. And he just seems very sweet and like very interested in emotions. And I would say that makes him a good actor. Yes. Seems like a very sincere young man. We have a um, a great piece on The Ringer by Kate Lloyd, which is about the making of normal people. And she did interview everyone, including Paul Meskel, and was very professional. I'm very proud of her. But he he talks about how this the scenes that he's most proud of, which are like the the emotional aspects of the sex scenes and also some of the the mental health scenes later in the show. And he seems very committed to portraying this character responsibly, which I find very endearing. Yeah, totally. Next fact, the necklace that he wears in the show has taken on a life of its own. It's gotten its own Instagram account called Connell's Chain. And there's all these stats coming out, particularly in the UK of like online retailers um, selling out of go- of silver chains and like searches for male silver chains going up like 250% on like ASOS and Argos. And then there's, there's a um, profile of him or interview with him on Mr. Porter, which is like the men's fashion site. And it has like at the bottom, like a sponsored post for like a chain. And there's only one left. And so Connell's <laughs> chain is taking on a life of its own. Um, notably, he gave that chain to Daisy as a wrap present and he wore it every night, every day during production. He never took it off. I got to say, the chain really works for me. I really oh, understand the power of the chain. I salute all the people Same. making memes out of it. I support everyone buying a chain from ASOS or other in order to to try to bring the Connell vibe into real life. It works. You know what it reminds me of is um when like dog military dog tags were popular, even for people not in the military. And like that was like cool in movies. And then unfortunately, like, pe- like kind of like spoiled males just like tried to like wear a dog tag Mm -hmm. necklace and that was a very bad look and rude um but it just reminds me of that like micro trend from 20 years ago i do think it's like jake gyllenhaal has been trying to make this happen in a fashion sense for a while well i would argue that probably ever since jarhead (laughs) yeah jake gyllenhaal has been it's worked for him in a fashion sense for a while on his Instagrams where he puts on a shirt while doing a yoga handstand or whatever and supporting Russ and Daughters or whatever Jake Gyllenhaal is up to right now. We support you, Jake Gyllenhaal. But it's nice to see it finding a, a newer, wider audience, perhaps a younger audience. I will also just say it really does seem like Ireland is just very, very proud of this show and of Sally Rooney and is just really psyched that the Irish are getting their moment. And I, I also find that really endearing. I saw speculation in the Irish Post, totally um, unsourced and unconfirmed, that people are saying that Paul Meskel could be the next Bond. And I'm like, okay, who's saying that? Someone in Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not against it, but like, is that something people are saying? I'm not sure. Did you see there's like a, a screenshot? Someone had done a search for uh, normal people, England, because obviously Ireland is a different country than England. And there is a 
someone who the user guessed to be a dad, an Irish dad, just going and replying to every single tweet that said normal people in England. It was like, no, actually, it's Ireland. Incredible. (laughs) Really enjoy it. The most acute part of the Irish accent is how they say school. I can't even try to do it but they say school so much in the middle of the season when they're talking about how they know each other from high school. And it's like skewel. I can't even say it. It, I was just, I was unaware of that pronunciation. I gotta say, it's a good thing that this show is not 100% reliant on dialogue because sometimes I'm just, I'm kind of nodding with whatever they're saying. And they they look so beautiful. Then I'm like, okay, good, good job. Before Normal People, I was watching a show that you recommended This Way Up, which is a BBC show or Channel 4, and it was available on Hulu, and it also is by an Irish comedian named Aisling B, and then Sharon Horgan is also on it, and so it is also Irish. And it was a lot of Irish accents for me right in a row. And I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, and it's beautiful, and everyone looks beautiful. I don't care. Shout out Ireland. I just, I'm catching up. Shout out to you, Ireland. Um, unfortunately, our next fact is that Paul Meskel has moved to East London, and that's where he's isolating alone, building Ikea furniture and doing a lot of Zoom interviews. He actually had been living with one of the his co-stars named India Mullins, who's in the show as well, but she moved out. But for this Mr. Porter spread, or no, sorry, it was the independent in the UK. She had like photographed him beforehand because of distancing or whatever. Very, very sweet. But yeah, he's like alone, just like as his as he's become a huge star, which must be a really weird experience. Normal people season two. Just make that show. Yeah, sure. Um, all right. One more just piece of info that I came across this morning regarding Daisy Edgar Jones. She's dating a Game of Thrones actor. She's dating Tom Vary, who plays Clee Kerwin or however you say it. But I just want to say it's like a real sign that you're in the actor community of the UK and Ireland when you're dating someone who was on Game of Thrones. That's how, <laughs> that's how you know you've made it. It's a pretty big pool since there's so many actors, but uh, it's, a, it's a real sign of something nonetheless. That's true. That That is a great point. I have no idea who that character was, but good for her. The other thing I want to say about Daisy Edgar Jones, I was doing some deep diving on her Instagram. Whoever her team is has already they were anticipating this and she has like already been at the right parties and has like the fashion spread down. And it's, it's always really interesting to me when someone gets appointed, like the quote it girl or the the next thing or whatever. And you can just see all of the stars aligning and suddenly she's just like at a lot of parties and the right dresses and the, the fashion spreads. And it's like are definitely already happening for her. And I think was happening even before this show was released, but Yeah. She's in the community, as you said. What are some signs of that? I think, I mean, it it really is traditionally that you're in a magazine's like next big spread, you know, next big thing. And it's like, you're wearing a bunch of clothes and a fashion spread. I think she got a big Vogue UK spread. So there's Yeah. And she was at like a lot of BAFTA parties earlier this year. And she's been in some other stuff. It's neither of their like absolute first show. It's just kind of their breakout roles. It is his first on-screen Thing. He did a lot oh, of it is? theater. Yeah, oh, that's he right. did a lot of theater, but this is his first time on TV or in the movies. Great for him. Yeah. But yeah, you can just kind of see the machine at work, which, yeah. which is great. They're both deserving. This is a great transition because I was just thinking in my head that it's like also comes with like a lot of like floral patterns of like heavy fabrics and like a skirt you only wear in a magazine. And this mm-hmm. is a great segue into what did not happen last night, which was the annual Met Gala. Yes. So the Met Gala, which is... Um, technically a fundraiser for the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute, which is a 
wing of the museum dedicated to history of fashion, but uh, is more widely known as like prom for major celebrities. Yeah, it's hosted by Vogue and Anna Wintour and getting invited is like kind of a big deal. There's a different theme every year, which is very loosely interpreted. And it's like a, a big um, photo opportunity. And then in, there's always stories of like what happened inside. And yes. And this year it didn't happen because of coronavirus, but uh, celebrities wouldn't let it go. It was just like all over social media and the internet yesterday. Well, it sort of was. And I wanted to talk about the ways in which it was in which the ways in which it wasn't, because this is obviously was a fundraising opportunity. And I think, you know, Vogue has started a specific fund um, in order to benefit people in the fashion industry affected by COVID-19, which, you know, before anyone gets snooty about it, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's like employs a lot of people who no longer can do their jobs at this moment. So, and Anna Wintour made like a six minute video where she gave a very quick speech about that and pointed people to the fund. And then Florence of Florence in the Machine saying Florence Welch. Uh, Florence Welch. Thank you. I almost said Florence Pugh because she's the number <laughs> one Florence in my heart right now. But also because Florence Welch sang an acapella song for four minutes and it was really excruciating. I didn't make it through as, as <laughs> listeners of this podcast will know, it was kind of like peak uncomfortable singing though. I will say she did it in front of a wallpaper backdrop that I enjoyed. That wallpaper looked like the kind of print Daisy Edgar Jones will be wearing in glamour or L for her next spread. And I yes. liked it as well. I, I like a graphic feature wall wallpaper, not for your whole house, but tastefully done and like smartly deployed. It really sets you apart. It's really great. I completely agree. And also if you're going to do the accent wall or the, you know, bathroom wallpaper wall, go big or go home. Totally. And this is definitely going big. So I liked the wallpaper performance was not to my particular taste, but anyway, they did a six minute video on the YouTube channel and then essentially started a hashtag for people to do their quote own Met Galas and either kind of recreate past Met Gala looks, or I suppose you could create your own out of other things, but it really just became a way for for inclusion, I would say, which is nice. And a lot of people who traditionally would not be at the Met Gala putting on fancy clothes and kind of honoring the history. But I just found it. I thought that was nice. But I was thinking a lot about how this event has access usually to more celebrities than most events at this. Definitely. Point. It is like one it, this and the Oscars and maybe a couple other things. I'm sure I'm forgetting some are the guaranteed place where, you know, a bunch of celebrities are going to be in the same place at the same time. And obviously celebrities cannot be in the same place at the same time right now, nor can any of us, because that is not safe social distancing, but it seems like a real opportunity to get a lot of people involved in some larger fundraising effort, both for the costume Institute and for the fashion fund that Vogue is running and for the many other worthy causes that are out in the world right now. And they just didn't do that at all. And I found I that very strange. strange. I I totally agree. Like maybe do a telethon or something. Like there's been a lot of successful, enjoyable telethons. And instead we got like, we got Julia Roberts wearing her Matt Gala dress at home, which I only noticed because by the way, it was the same dress that my friend and bachelor, often bachelor party guest, Lauren Zima wore to the Oscars for her coverage. <laughs> and it, it's a great dress that Lauren looked amazing in. Um, but I just thought it was, I was like, how did Julia Roberts even get her dress? Like, usually it's like a loan. Like, does she just have it in her home? Was the photo op so important to that designer that they like asked her to do it? I thought that was a really weird one. And then I just thought that like, 
nostalgia over the event just for the event itself was like a, a little weird to me. Um, I guess that I just never really cared that much about it. I understand that it is like a huge part of, you know, the celebrity world. I just like was, I, I was surprised at how much noise there was about it online. Me too. I mean, it is an event that was about like exclusivity in public. It was like, it's a quote, who's who and who's invited and who's not. And, and upholding kind of more old fashioned celebrity structures and definitions and being snooty and making fun of people. But, and we've been talking a lot about how all of those structures are now temporarily at least gone. And we've gotten this kind of more direct version of celebrity. And there has been kind of like a democratization, both of who gets to be famous and how you get to be famous. And I both understand why the Met Gala doesn't want to lean into that because it's not like quote on brand, but it seems like a mistake because the version that you get instead just just reminds people, as you said, of like, I don't care about this. This isn't happening. This doesn't affect me. This isn't really doing anything major and doesn't even have the celebrities. Like I, I don't need to care about this. And I wonder whether once someone thinks I don't need to care about this anymore, whether you can make them care about it again. Right. Yeah. It was just, the whole thing was just really strange. I guess, um, I mean, that event itself is a huge loss of money for so many different industries. Like put aside the fundraiser for the Met, which like, by the way, I'd be happy to fundraise for the Met. I fucking love the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Like I'd be happy to to raise money for the Met. But I, I that's a good point. I didn't think about like the opportunity cost of not organizing like a broader fundraiser of some kind for people who work at the museum for or even for like makeup artists, like who work in, in the celebrity world who aren't making money right now because they, there are no events to go to. It just seems like a strange sticking to the old ways of of doing things at a time when everything else has changed dramatically. And I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about like, I I can't really watch another 40 person celebrity zoom. I'm good. And you rightly pointed out that we will begin to miss production values. And I do miss production values. And I think a lot of what we like about normal people, in addition to the charisma of the stars is production values. It looks great. It looks like someone spent time and money on it. So I understand wanting to stick to your like core principles or something, but to me, it just, I had the same reaction you did of just like, I I don't really need this. Who cares about the Met Gala? And it does make me wonder whether things like that come back and, and whether it's even a loss if they don't, I think it's certainly a loss for the, the costume Institute and the Met itself, which I'm with you, like support museums and support the people who work on these events because this event and the fashion industry do employ a lot of people. But in terms of like the spectacle, I don't know, man. The one social media post that did make me, that did like catch my eye. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Blake Lively posted, I think three of her recent looks and her, her, um, the train of all of her gowns matched the carpet that year. And <laughs> I believe Gigi Hadid, newly pregnant, congrats Gigi and Zane. Um, not that newly new to us. She asked like how she, she commented like how far in advance do you have to ask Anna to, to tell her what the carpet color is or something like that. And it was just really funny that I enjoyed yeah. that. That was a good one. I have to say <laughs> sneaky, great celebrity couple for, to me is, um, now they've rebounded from the lifestyle blog is Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. I'm all in on them. They have a good dynamic 
and, and like the dynamic between them is also the dynamic that they're putting out into the world on social media. Like yeah. you can kind of see that he is the kind of wise ass and is like always on Twitter a lot and involved in stuff. And she pops up and once in a while kind of being like the enforcer and the, you know, the, she's like the straight man to his goofy guy. And you can see that happening in their like actual marriage. It's smart. They've figured it out. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about the Met Gala was that another thing that Vogue did was they did like a quote oral history of the Met Gala, which was, which I suppose in the structure was an oral history, but (laughs) it's by no means complete. And it's just a bunch of people being like, I went to the Met Gala and here's what happened. Here's the one great quote in this oral history. It's from Sally Singer, who is the, um, was a former longtime Vogue editor, creative digital director, et cetera, et cetera. Here we go. One year, Jessica Simpson was there with John Mayer. She was wearing Michael Kors and her breasts maybe fell out of her dress on the red carpet. And then at dinner, it was suddenly like, whoa, Jessica Simpson's breasts are across from me at the dinner table and they are on a platter and I'm looking at them. And John Mayer was putting his hands on them at the dinner table. He kind of reached down and I just remember thinking, oh, celebrities feel free to play here. That's what's going on. There we go. Great stuff. Let's move on to, I think, probably a perennial guest. I bet she doesn't go anymore. Chloe Sevigny. Congratulations. She's a mom. We're thrilled. We love you, Chloe. We are thrilled. Do you think she still goes? I don't think she's gone in recent years. I'm sure she's invited. She's the ultimate New York celebrity. I bet she's gone one or two years. Like I seem to have a fairly recent memory of Chloe Sevigny at one of these. At the same time, I feel like when I think of a celebrity kind of wearing something avant-garde how about that at, sure, the, yeah. at the Met Gala and you being like oh I love that person so I'll give them whatever fashion credit it's like always Chloe Sevigny if you do a cursory search she's been the last last few of the last few years you know not consistently yeah. but she's just like such a staple in this kind of event mm-hmm. I love Chloe I hope she's doing great congratulations to her and it's just a great story we had to mention it because we love her so yeah, we wish her well, but in the positive sense. In the real sense. It's not a, yeah. it's not a cynical we wish you well. Um, moving on. Anna to Armis. She had a birthday. I believe she's 33 years old now. 32. 32, because there were multiple balloons and candles with three and two uh, throughout the Instagram post. So she's 32. You know what I hate? The trend what? of adults having like birthday balloons that have their age. Like, okay, when you're six, okay. I I think as soon as you hit teens, those balloons are over. Like, I'm sorry. As soon as you're bought mitzvah age, time to move on from the balloons. I just don't know. Don't know how we got here. Bat mitzvah. Okay. You can't do, you can't do 18. 18 is a pretty big deal. 21. I don't know. I'm just like, what are these? I I just hate this further infantilization of adults. You can drive. I don't know. There's so many other ways to celebrate when you're 16. When you're nine, you don't have a lot outside of shiny balloons. But like as an adult, there's so many ways to celebrate a birthday. Do you have to get these childish balloons? I just, I don't know. I think I might allow 16 year olds a balloon if they really want them. But I do think that there is a difference between 16 and literally (laughs) double the age, which is 32, which Ana de Armas is. We just, we have to talk about the whole thing. Maybe I don't mind the balloons if she just like wants some balloons. It's hard in quarantine to make a birthday feel significant. And I do actually 
I agree that you don't need a child's birthday party with a clown as an adult for a birthday, but I like honoring birthdays. I have bullied you into celebrating a birthday more than once, primarily because I wanted to eat birthday cake and you were a great excuse, but you were really, you were a good sport about it. And we thank you, but thank you. But I do believe in recognizing birthdays because it's just like a nice way to tell someone that you're grateful that they're around and to celebrate their existence. Okay. Yeah, sure. And have a party, which everyone needs. And it's hard to do that in the present circumstances when you can't be around a lot of people in person and you can't have a party or you can't do any of the things you might normally do. So I get it to an extent, but Anna Armas definitely went to a second location in the desert with Ben Affleck and staged a whole Instagram birthday to document on Instagram with the balloons and the cake and the happy birthday hat and just was like, now I have to make my birthday into content featuring my movie star boyfriend, Ben Affleck. Yeah. And I, I have some questions. Yeah. Also one of the pictures, she's very aggressively not wearing a bra, which I support. You don't have to, but it's, that's like kind of becoming part of her aesthetic. Maybe it always has been. I just didn't know. Um, yeah. I mean, traveling for your birthday during quarantine for an aggressive Instagram post to like also kind of formally acknowledge your relationship is really something and is not something that I necessarily would advise. <laughs> Let's also, so it was Anna de Armas's birthday, but I'm not going to put all, all of it on her. Ben Affleck, willing participant. Yes, of course. Part of this. He knows he's in the photograph. I have to assume. I hope he bought the balloons. If she bought the balloons for herself, that's really sad, though. Who could say? I, I don't know. Maybe a third party bought the balloons and had them shipped there, I hope, to practice safe social distancing. It's got to be the work of an assistant somehow. I don't know that Ben Affleck is setting up this whole birthday display himself. It's very uh, semi-homemade with Sandra Lee, and I don't know if he has that in him. Maybe she right. did it for herself. I We can't rule that out. Anyway, my point is these two people are just really committed to providing content about their relationship Yeah, still in quarantine. And they are like, they are serving it. It is verging on influencer. And I find that fascinating just because I think Ana de Armas is supposed to be in so many like really high profile prestige movies in the next. I mean, she was in Knives Out, which was like very successful and critically acclaimed. She's supposed Great to time. be in Blonde, the Andrew Dominic adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates, where she's playing Marilyn Monroe. She's going to be in the movie with Ben Affleck, directed by Adrian Lyne. I, I mean, she is like very much positioned to be a serious. She was on the cover of Vanity Fair. She was going to be a serious, like big movie star. Is and she in? Um, is she in uh, James Bond, or did I make that up? She's in James Bond. Thank you. Yes, for reminding me. And and then is pivoting to the influencer life. It's and like Visco Girl influencer too. It's interesting. I just I I no offense to influencers. And they're actually, I follow influencers and I really like them and I learn about a lot of things from them. And sometimes they feel like people who are keeping you company. There's like, actually there's value in it. In addition to the, you know, they managed to sell the products to a lot of people, but it's definitely a different strategy than the strategy that wins you an Oscar. It's, yes. There's, there's movie star strategy and there's influencer strategy. And I find it fascinating that she's leaning into it. And I find it fascinating that Ben Affleck also thinks that this is a good idea. And I, I mean, I am talking about them every week. I couldn't be more up on it. So in that sense, it's it working. Is working. It's working. And maybe that's all that matters. Maybe this will be the first influencer Oscar. That would be incredible. But I, I'm, 
I'm fascinated. There we go. I'm fascinated. It's funny because all I can do is is think about when we talk about her for some reason. I think I've mentioned this before. My mind just goes to and somehow Jennifer Lawrence would never do that. And then I think about how Jennifer Lawrence is like always in the Oscars mix and had a very different way of like being like a regular girl, a regular woman. But this is very much like Ana de Armas being like, look, I'm regular. I use Instagram. But it just I think because it's so stylized it's the opposite effect of like someone like Martha Stewart, where you're like, you are the opposite of regular trying to use Instagram. And so it's almost like the attempt at being of a, of an archetype that we're familiar with and is still new. Like the Instagram influencer is like, it's very weird messaging. And like the signals are hard to parse. I think that's true. I think you can just also see the deliberateness in this. That's what makes it like an influencer. Or at least you and I can. And that's what makes it like an influencer. And maybe people don't care. I mean, like I have been proven wrong on this and many other things. And as long as everyone's healthy and happy and respecting, (laughs) you know, whatever regulations, like who am I to say anything? Looks like a great cake. Again, huge fan of birthday cake and bullying the people in your life to have them. I just I think it'll be very interesting to watch. Okay, Last on today's list. Got to talk about it. Harry and Meghan, they got a book coming out for which they sat. And their court case continues apace and it's not going well. I would say not going well, sort of the storyline right now. <laughs> so I, I would agree with that. I will say my understanding of the court case was that some things were thrown out. They seemed to be somewhat procedural as opposed to the actual merits of the case, though the fact that procedural elements are getting thrown out would indicate that perhaps their case is not constructed as well as they might like. Right. Right. So that's not great. And then there's a book coming out that is their authorized biography. So they sat for it. And I believe it's called Finding Freedom. Yes. I'll read you the full title. It is Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and the Making of a Modern Royal Family. It is written by Harper's Bazaar Royal Editor Omid Scobie and Elle Magazine Royal Correspondent Carolyn Durand. And Omid Scobie, at least, has been a person who uh, seems to be in contact with people who are in contact with Meghan Markle. I'll just leave it at that. But has seems to be kind of like the designated public mouthpiece in the press for at least recently. So, yes, and they sat for it, and it seems like it will be like their quote side of the story it have you read any of the andrew morton diana book are you familiar with the andrew morton diana book at all i haven't read it however i saw diana the musical which is based on andrew morton's biography and he was at he was at the performance i went to like signing books and everything and at it was right right before archie was born and he was like gotta go gotta get back to the uk the baby's gonna coming soon so (laughs) um i'm familiar with it though i haven't read it So I believe it's called Diana, Her True Story, and it's in the Diana narrative. It's the real turning point because it was published without her. It it was never announced that Diana was a part of the book, that she did, in fact, sit for interviews through an intermediary and she endorsed it and worked. But it was all behind the scenes. And in fact, she denied it publicly. But when it was published while she was still alive, it was just uh, a very clear to everyone that she was involved. And that is really when the marriage effectively ended. That was like the final straw and things really start unraveling in terms of her ability to stay in the Royal family. And it is kind of cited as like the ultimate betrayal of her and of 
the monarchy and whatever stuff. The musical captures that actually very well in the second act. So this is different because she did the Andrew Morton thing in secret and then she didn't, she denied it. And this is in public. And I think they're saying that it's authorized. And also, obviously, they have already like made clear a lot of their decisions and they are not technically a member of the, well, they are a member of the royal family, but they're not supposed to call themselves anymore, even though it's on the cover of the book. I wonder how that's going to go legally, but it's not really my concern. But it just, it, it gave me Andrew Morton, Diana vibes. And I'm like very curious to see whether it works out for them and whether it really is like a throat clearing and a clean slate and their side of the story. And everyone's like, great, we can move on or whether it just, you know, makes the saga worse. There's literally no way this goes well. Literally zero. (laughs) I was trying to be, I was trying to be positive. I was trying to, you know, they have a right to tell their version of the story. They do. They have a right. And that seems like very important to them. That seems like so much of this has just been, it drives them absolutely bonkers that they do not have control over their narrative and what, what people think of them or what people are allowed to say about them. And I get it. I super get it. It drives me insane that I don't have control over what people say or think or whatever. It drives me insane that I don't have control over literally everything that happens in the world. It's one of my number one issues. My therapist would love to tell you more about it. So I do get it, but it really seems like just engaging with commenters to me. Yeah. And like, again, I get it. Like I saw an article today, either on the Daily Mail or page six, that was like about how Megan wouldn't allow photographers to shoot her feet. Which is not true because I have seen so many fucking pictures of her shoes. So it's not true. And like, maybe there were stipulations, but like, I don't know. That's pretty common. Like, it's like, I, it's a very common way to control your press. I mean, Beyonce famously is really controlling her photos. I'm sure Will and Kate are really controlling over their photos. Like that's just not a big deal. So I understand because they get so much negative attention. Um, but this is not going to play well. They really should have taken a true break of like quiet and like gone away for like nine months and then come back with something akin to the website that they launched in January. But, you know, focusing on the future, they just have gone about this like completely in the wrong way. I completely agree. Their press strategy, whoever's advising them, it's a disaster. Just move forward. It's done. You've made your decision. You want to have a life together and do work that's important to you. Go do it. Stop talking about the other stuff. Deflect. Start a new story. It's also really outdated. Like the the Andrew Morton thing is interesting because what also would have been smarter would be to document everything and then to, to release a documentary. Like do again, like follow the Beyonce playbook on this one. That would have been uh, and and you know even with like the Last Dance on on ESPN right now, like people are now accustomed to bet to documentaries about celebrities having that celebrity's involvement and you know, there's this whole brouhaha about it this week because Ken Burns kind of was like critical of it or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. a thing people do. And like, they should have done that. I mean, they, if they really were forward thinking it, they would have like broken out of this mold a little bit. And again, it speaks to their bad press strategy, but it's just really hard to defend them. And I instinctively want to, but I'm just like so tired of this. I'm just like, guys make a good decision for once. I agree. Hire someone or just, or if you want to be alone, go be alone. Like, honestly, yeah. go buy a house in Malibu or Brentwood. Th- this week's rumor is Pacific Palisades. Looks very nice, actually. The house that they almost certainly will not buy because it's although it is in a gated community, but it's out there. But um, it's uh, it has lovely views of the ocean, at least, which I, I think sounds nice. If you're going to move all the way from England to California, why not? But just go live your life for a little while. If that's actually what you wanted, go do it. And then when you have when you've got something new to say, 
you will have millions of people who want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're exhausting. You know, luckily we have normal people to give us life. And of course, on to Armis's Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>